Hi, welcome back to Spotlight Anatomy. Today, we will be having a closer look at the muscles of the shoulder area. You can follow along using an anatomy app or feel free to use the link in the description to our illustrated notes. There's extra material and quizzes there too. By the end of this episode, you should be able to Describe the differences between intrinsic and extrinsic muscles of the shoulder. Recognise and identify these muscles. Understand the movements allowed by these muscles. This might seem like a lot to cover, but here's a little tip to help with that. Try learning all of the different facts about a muscle in context to each other. This will give you a more functional understanding of the muscles and their roles making it easier to learn and remember. For example, understanding and visualising the sites of origin and insertion for the muscles will then help you realise why their actions are what they are. It's amazing how interconnected everything is, right? Okay, let's begin. First up, let's take a look at the extrinsic muscles of the shoulder. In this context, Extrinsic muscles are ones connecting the shoulder girdle, composed of the scapula, clavicle and humerus, to the trunk of the body. These muscles can be subdivided into anterior, as in the pectoral region, and posterior. Today we will be focusing on the posterior extrinsic muscles. These are classified as either superficial or deep muscles. So let's start with the superficial ones. There are only two of these in the shoulder region, trapezius and latissimus dorsi. Trapezius is the most superficial of the shoulder muscles, but also quite a complex one. It is quite a noticeable muscle, being broad, flat and a trapezium in shape. These features of the muscles are partly due to its many functions. We will take a closer look at those in a moment. Trapezius can be grossly divided into three sections, the superior descending fibres, the middle transverse fibres and the inferior ascending fibres. This also means that there are many points of origin and insertion. The key origins for trapezius are the superior nuchal line the external occipital protuberance of the occipital bone of the skull, the nuchal ligament at the back of the neck, and the spinous process of the C7 to T12 vertebrae. The muscle then inserts into bony prominences around the shoulder joint, the lateral clavicle, and both the acromion and the spine of the scapula. Trapezius is innervated by the spinal accessory nerve, also known as cranial nerve 11. Now, you know some of the key information about trapezius, so can you think of what the main action of this muscle might be? Consider all the origins and insertions that we have just discussed, and how this may relate to the direction of the fibres. There are actually quite a few actions that trapezius is capable of. 
the superior portion of the muscle is responsible for elevating the scapula and laterally rotating it when there is abduction, that's abduction, above 90 degrees. The middle portion of the muscle retracts the scapula towards the midline, whilst the inferior muscle fibres pull the scapula inferiorly. Trapezius can also be clinically tested by having the patient shrug their shoulders against resistance. If the patient has weakness on one or both sides, this may be an indication of cranial nerve 11 pathology. Let's move on to the other superficial shoulder muscle, the latissimus dorsi. This is located inferior to trapezius and is smaller than it, although it's still relatively broad before tapering towards its insertion. Like trapezius, there are numerous points of origin. These are the spinous processes of T6 to T12, the iliac crest of the pelvis, the inferior three ribs and the thoracocolumbar fascia. Luckily, there's only one insertion point, the floor of the intertubecular sulcus of the humerus bone, which sits between pectoralis major and teres minor. We'll cover pec major in the next podcast. Top tip, a very easy way to remember this is the mnemonic lady between two majors, with the lady being latissimus dorsi and the two majors being pectoralis and teres major. The thoracodorsal nerve is responsible for innovating latissimus, by the way. Time for another question. As with trapezius, what do you think the actions of latissimus dorsi are, given its origins and insertion? Take a moment to have a think. Latissimus has three main actions at the shoulder joint. These are adduction, extension and internal rotation. That's the superficial extrinsic muscles done. Now onto the deep extrinsic muscles. These are located deep in the upper back underneath trapezius and there are three of them. Starting from the most superior and working down they are Levator scapulae, rhomboid minor, and rhomboid major. These muscles have three things which they all share. 1. They all insert into the medial border of the scapula. 2. They all medially rotate the scapula. 3. They are all innervated by the dorsal scapular nerve. Let's start with levator scapulae. It's a small strap-like muscle that originates from the C1 to C4 spinous processes and inserts into the medial border of the scapula, above the spine of the scapula. As the name suggests, the action of this muscle is to elevate the scapula. Sitting below levator scapulae are the rhomboid minor and major muscles, in that order. Again, as their names suggest, these muscles take a rhomboidal shape, with rhomboid major being the larger of the two. 
because they insert lower down on the scapula, these muscles must medially rotate and retract the scapula. Minor sits higher, originating from the spinous process of C7 to T1, whilst major originates from T2 to T5. That's all of the extrinsic muscles of the shoulder. There's quite a bit of information there, so feel free to take some time to pause and go over anything you might be unsure of. When you're refreshed, let's take a look at the intrinsic muscles. The intrinsic part means that the muscles only originate and insert into the shoulder girdle. There are six muscles in total. Deltoid, teres major, and the four rotator cuff muscles. Let's have a look at deltoid and teres major to start. Deltoid is a bulky triangular muscle. It is a common site for intramuscular injections, such as vaccinations for COVID. This muscle, like trapezius, is also composed of three components, the anterior clavicular fibers, lateral acromial fibers, and posterior scapular fibres. As with trapezius, each area correlates to the different actions the muscle performs. Deltoid wraps around the bones at the lateral aspect of the shoulder. Its origins are the clavicle, anteriorly, the acromion laterally, and then the scapular spine posteriorly. Then it inserts into the conveniently named deltoid tuberosity on the lateral humerus. It is innervated by the axillary nerve. So, what are the actions of deltoid? Well, the anterior fibres, due to their placement, are involved in flexing and internally rotating the shoulder, whilst the posterior fibres do the opposite by extending and externally rotating the joint. The muscle fibres in the middle have a different role and abduct the arm at the shoulder joint between 15 and 90 degrees from the anatomical position. This takes over from supraspinatus, so we'll talk about that a bit later on. The next muscle is teres major. This is enervated by the inferior subscapular nerve and found just inferior to the teres minor. Its origins are found at the posterior surface of the inferior angle of the scapula, after which it courses anteriorly to triceps and inserts into the medial lip of this intertubecular sulcus. This enables abduction and internal rotation of the arm at the shoulder joint. The remaining intrinsic muscles of the shoulder are known as the rotator cuff muscles, these being supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor and subscapularis. Top tip. A good way to remember these muscles is the acronym SITS. We've added a picture in our show notes to show you how this helps remember their insertions. Why do you think these muscles are collectively called rotator cuff muscles? What do you think their function might be?
the rotator cuff muscles work to stabilise the joint by pulling the humeral head into the glenoid fossa of the scapula, especially during movement of the shoulder. This cuff-like functionality during rotation lends to the collective name of the muscles. The rotator cuff muscles originate from various parts of the scapula and all insert into the greater tubercle of the humerus, with the exception of subscapularis, which inserts into the lesser tubercle. Let's take a look at each of these muscles individually. First up is the supraspinatus muscle. This originates from and follows the supraspinatus fossa before inserting into the greater tubercle of the humerus. It is innervated by supraspinatus and its action is to abduct the arm from 0 to 15 before allowing the deltoid to take over although it still assists in abduction up to 90 degrees. Next is infraspinatus, originating in the infraspinous fossa below the spine of the scapula. Like supraspinatus, this also inserts into the greater tubercle and is innervated by the suprascapular nerve. However, it is responsible for the external rotation of the arm at the shoulder joint. Teres minor is the next, and originates from the lateral border of the scapula. It's innervated by the axillary nerve, and functions to externally rotate the arm. The subscapularis is the last of the rotator cuff and intrinsic shoulder muscles. It takes its origin in the subscapular fossa of the scapula, inserting into the lesser tubercle of the humerus. It is supplied by the subscapular nerves with the action of internally rotating the arm at the shoulder joint. This is opposite to that of teres minor. Before we finish, let's have a brief look at the shoulder injuries. Rotator cuff tears are one of the most common injuries when it comes to this joint. However, it's the associated tendons rather than the rotator cuff muscles themselves that are often torn in such injuries. Supraspinatus is particularly vulnerable at the point where it passes under the narrow coracoacromial arch. You'll cover more on rotator cuff tears and other shoulder injuries in the Pathology podcast for shoulder muscles. Thinking about the actions and movements that these muscles and the shoulder joint are capable of, what do you think are one of the most common causes of rotator cuff injuries? As the shoulder is capable of a really wide range of movements that we regularly use every day, many causes of rotator cuff injuries are related to chronic extended use of the joint for example in occupations that require a lot of lifting and overhead work. Age-related degeneration also predisposes to such injuries. Thank you for listening. We've covered everything for today. Now, why not try the Shoulder Muscles Test Yourself by following the link in the description. Have a look at the show notes if there's something you didn't catch Or, for a more clinical view, check out our weekly pathology podcast. 
We'll see you next week for our next episode on the pectoral region. <laughs>